First Peter chapter 4. We're still just kind of floating a little bit this summer, just letting the Lord deal with us, just doing some in-house work, letting him speak to us on some stuff. And we're going to be looking at a passage from 1 Peter 4 this morning. So get there. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Jesus, we thank you that you have endeavored to meet us here this morning. And Lord, I think, I hope, at least somewhere in our hearts is the idea that we're coming to church for you, Jesus. We've gathered around you and for you because we want to live for you and your glory. We want to be a church and the church that brings you glory, that brings honor and praise to your name. We want to live for your purposes and your goals. We want to let our light shine before men in such a way that they might see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven. We want to be in love with you and on mission with you, Lord. And so we ask that this morning you would speak to us. We've come here for you and your purposes and your glory. So speak to us about those things, Jesus. Have our attention. Have our hearts. We thank you for the inerrant, authoritative, wonderful word of God in front of us. We ask the Holy Spirit, you would come and teach us. We ask together that everything that I would say would be from your throne and for your glory. Rule and reign and have your way here, King Jesus. We ask it together in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The title of this message is Keeping It Real as a Church. Keeping It Real as a Church. This is for us now. This is For those of us that call this church home, if you're visiting, that's awesome. We're super glad you're here. We hope that you'll come back. But this is kind of a little in-house stuff that we've got to deal with this morning. I want to say that as a church, you guys are doing a great job. You're doing a great job responding to the leading of Christ. Here's here's our, our missiology, okay? Here's what we believe about mission. We believe that God is a missionary God. That God has goals, that God has a plan, that God is working his purposes in the world. That God is on mission. And we believe that God has called us to be on mission with him. That he doesn't just save us from our sins, he saves us for his purposes, right? Right? Okay, so, so we get saved and then we get on mission, That's our missiology. That's what we believe about mission. And we don't believe that missions is just what you do overseas. We believe that mission is what you do with life. Right? We've made a mistake in the church by saying, oh, they're going on a mission trip. Or they're a missionary. Or they're doing missions over there. We need to apply it to our lives. We need to say, we're missionaries. We're on a mission trip. We're doing missions right here. That's what we believe about missiology. We're not all quite there. But, but that's where we're headed. God is a missionary God. He's called us into mission. You guys are doing a good job as a church. As a church, we've got a lot of irons in the fire. You know, September 6th, uh, Reality Ventura is starting up. That's been a huge project and a year and a half of prayer and a large investment. And we believe God's going to do awesome things. Two weeks before that, Reality London is starting up, right, on August 23rd. A lot of you are going to London for that. Praise the Lord. Uh, 
Reality San Francisco is starting on January 10th of next year, so that's coming up as well. Uh, The reality staff is having a meeting tonight with another church planter who will be moving here in the next couple months. So you guys have have a lot of irons in the fire just domestically here with church planting. The Lord has led us. He's doing it. It's his mission. It's his for his glory. It's by grace. But you guys have been responding. And then there's overseas missions that are happening. There's discipleship and mentoring that's happening. There's just a lot of irons in the fire. And so when we're doing that as a church, we want to make sure that we're just on track with some real basic stuff. That's why I'm calling this keeping it real as a church. Doing a lot of stuff, good stuff. God is doing it by grace. He's using us for his glory. We need to stay on track with some stuff now in this busy season. This passage in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 7 through 11, is going to help us stay on track. Okay, I want you to read this carefully with me. Starting in verse 7 of 1 Peter 4, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober spirit for the purpose of prayer. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another, because love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaint. As each has received a special gift, employ it in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him serve and do so as by the strength which God supplies so that in all things... God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, four points that we see in that text, it's going to keep us on track as a church, as the church, as individual members of the church, okay? The first one was we need to be purposeful in prayer. We saw that in verse 7. Number two, we need to be laden with love, We saw that in verses 8 and 9. Number three, we need to be serving as stewards. We see that in verse 10. And then number four, we need to be glorifying God. We see that in verse 11. Here's kind of a compass for for a busy church, for a church that's on mission. When I say church, I don't mean the building. I don't mean the organization. I mean the people, okay? Church is not a building, church is the people. We are a local expression of the church. So for a busy church on mission, we need to be sure that we're being purposeful in prayer, that we're laden with love, serving as stewards, and glorifying God. So first of all, being purposeful in prayer. Verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be of sound judgment and sober in spirit for the purpose of prayer. When I used to read a phrase like the end of all things is near, I used to read that almost strictly negatively. I used to read it in that real sort of doomsday sense. You know what I mean? That nuclear holocaust is coming or um, wars and rumors of wars or strictly in the tribulation period. Some of that, wars and rumors of wars, Matthew 24, Jesus said that tribulation period, Daniel 9 speaks about that, Matthew 24, Luke 21, so on and so forth, Revelation, um, Some of those things are a component of the end, but they're not the end. They're signs of the end. The end is what we looked at last week in Revelation chapter 7. The end is every tongue, tribe, and nation worshiping and in subjection to Jesus. 
So we might read it differently, and it's a fair translation. The consummation of all things is at hand. Okay? The consummation of all things, the fulfillment of all things, and the fulfillment of all things is that Jesus is glorified, that Jesus is worshiped, that Jesus establishes his kingdom. So we don't need to think in a purely, you know, kind of signs of the end times, negative sense, though that's true. But, but we need to today, for our purposes, look beyond that and say what's happening is the king is coming. And the king is going to establish his kingdom once and for all, fully and completely. And when the king comes, he's going to right every wrong. And when the king comes, he's going to restore all things. There's going to be a restoration period. There's going to be the millennial kingdom. And then there's going to be the new heaven and the new earth. And when the king comes, he makes everything that's gone wrong all right. That's what Jesus does. Part of that was his cross and the defeat of sin, death, and the devil. And his resurrection from the dead. His ascension where he's seated at the right hand of majesty on high. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon the church. The church on mission throughout the church age. We need to realize that he is coming again to fully establish what we only partially realize now, which is the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God has come with the person of Christ. The kingdom of God is now as Christ reigns in our lives. And the kingdom of God is coming as Christ will rule and reign over the nations. So what we're saying in this verse is, in light of Jesus coming, be of sound judgment, be of sober spirit. The NIV puts it this way. Be clear-minded and self-controlled. New King James puts it this way. Be serious and watchful. All of this for the purpose of prayer. As Ephesians says, we're to walk circumspectly. We're to be aware of the kingdom of Christ manifest in our lives now and the fullness of it coming. And what that ought to do is cause us to live soberly and to live prayerfully. To live soberly and to live prayerfully. So how might we apply this to our lives? How can we be purposeful in prayer? That's the question here on the first point. As a church, one of the things we need to keep, part of our compass here, is being purposeful in prayer. We do that corporately as a church, right? We got a truckload of prayer meetings. We got the Tuesday morning, 6 a.m. prayer meeting. We got prayer meeting uh, on Tuesday in the evening for the college, you know, age folks and the college age ministry. We've got Wednesday evening prayer for the youth. We've got Thursday evening prayer down in Ventura. We've got Friday night prayer groups for the nations and for missions. We've got Sunday morning prayer. So we try to be purposeful as a church that's on mission about corporate prayer, about coming together and seeking the heart and the will of God for the glory of God. But your whole Christian life can't just be church. Your Christian life is bigger than church. Church meaning how we normally use it, the gathering together, the stuff that we do. More important than being at church, we need to be the church. Yeah, we come to church, but we need to be the church when we're not at church. So the question becomes, yeah, we praying on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Thursdays and Fridays and Sundays. Saturday, I guess we're taking it off, Shabbat, the Sabbath. But in your own personal life, as you endeavor to be the church, 
How can you be purposeful about prayer? My wife and I have been talking about this a bit lately because we go to the beach a lot. And uh, we live in Carpinteria. Why wouldn't you go to the beach a lot? If you live in Carpinteria and you're not going to the beach a lot, what do you do? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the beach is a really cool place to meet people. And lately we've been meeting a lot of people down at the beach. Some Christians, some non-Christians. And just hanging out and getting to know people a little bit. Especially my wife. She's really good at that. I'm usually out surfing. so. But she's on the beach meeting people. And, and we've been talking about, okay, so we met these people. And, and we got to know their lives a little bit. So how can we begin to pray for them? Within our sphere of influence, within our normal lives, how can we manifest the kingdom of God? How can we be purposeful about prayer? When I used to work at Channel Island Surfboards, I, I endeavored to be purposeful about prayer there. Okay, got these guys that I work next to for X amount of hours a day. How can I be praying for them? So-and-so doesn't know Christ. So-and-so is going through a breakup. So-and-so is struggling with this. So-and-so has got this going on. How can we just be purposeful about prayer within our sphere of influence? Some of your families are really struggling. You know, we're in a time of financial strain as a nation and financial strain generally puts strain on families. So how can we be praying for our families during this difficult time? How can you young people be praying for your dads that are stressed out financially? How can we be praying for our husbands, our wives? How can we just be purposeful about God's kingdom within our sphere of influence? How can we develop a heart for the lost? Who here doesn't know a non-Christian? You don't know a non-Christian, Fonray? You misunderstood the question. God bless you, my sister. Fonray Cubay, everybody. <laughs> so everybody knows someone who's going to hell. That's what we're talking about. We all know somebody who's going to hell without Jesus. So how do we be purposeful about praying for them? How do we be purposeful about praying for our neighborhoods? I go to the end of my street and I stand at the end of my street and I pray over my street in the middle of the night. If you ever saw me doing it, you think I was a nut job. And I am a little bit. How can we be purposeful about praying for our communities? When I drive down Linden Avenue, I pray for the businesses. Every time I eat at Zucker's, and I eat at Zucker's a lot, I love Zucker's. Anybody here eating at Zucker's? Okay, that's a great place. Every time I eat at Zucker's, I pray that God would bless and prosper their business. Anytime I eat anywhere in Carpinteria. How can we, within normal life, be purposeful about prayer? Now, the next point, is how can we be laden with love? Verse eight, above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. And verse nine, be hospitable to one another without complaint. Keep fervent in your love for one another. As a church, we need to make sure not only that we're purposeful about prayer, okay, both as we gather and when we're scattered. So that's what we believe about the church. The church gathers and the church scatters. But how can we be laden with love? How can love abound when we're gathered and when we're scattered? Keep fervent in your love for one another. It could be translated, keep constant in your love for one another. If we're honest, it's kind of hard to keep constant in our love for each other because we offend each other on a fairly regular basis. And that's exactly what this is addressing. Keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. 
Have you ever been loved by somebody in such a way that they're just blind to a lot of your junk? My wife is like that. My wife loves me and she is blind to so much and I love it. That kind of love is so freeing. That kind of love is so healing. That kind of love is so restorative in our lives. Maybe your your mama that loved you that way. My mama loves me that way. I mean, I could walk, whatever. I could walk in her house and throw an ax through the window and she'd be like, I love you, sweetie. I'm like, yes, that's the kind of love I'm talking about. That's the kind of love this passage is talking about. As Christians, we need to be cultivating a love that covers a multitude of sins because we're going to sin against each other. People are going to sin against us. And the ideal within Christianity is that we love in such a way that it covers it, meaning it forgives and disregards the offense. It doesn't mean that we don't church uh, practice, excuse me, church discipline. We do. We need to do that as a church. That'll keep us on track. It doesn't mean that we don't stay accountable and hold people accountable. We do. It just means that there's an aroma of forgiveness that comes from our lives instead of an aroma of bitterness or of jealousy or of grudges. These things keep us bound up. These things play us right into the hands of Satan. And what Satan wants to do is break relationships because you see, God is a relational God. God exists as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has always existed in community and in relationship. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God, but to be created for relationship? And as image bearers, we need to cultivate good relationships. It's hard, isn't it? Because we all sin. Anybody here sin more than they want to? Just me? If I'm ready in on that one? Okay, cool. (laughs) She got that question. (laughs) What what we need to do is be at least as graceful with other people as we are with ourselves. First and greatest commandment is you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Most of us are really generous with ourselves when it comes to sin easily forgive ourselves. Some of you are not, and that's a whole different problem. And we'd love to help you with that problem. You have a hard time accepting the forgiveness of God and forgiving yourself, and that's bondage, and that's sad. We need to help you with that. But for most of us, we sin our brains out, and we're like, huh, grace of God abounds. (laughs) Praise the Lord. No problem. We need to be that way with other people. Did not our Lord teach us to pray? Forgive us our debt as we forgive those who are our debtors. Forgive our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. We need to be at least as generous with other people as we are with ourselves. The kind of grace that you need, anybody here need a lot of grace? I need so much grace from the people that are close to me. I need so much grace. The kind of grace you need, we need to be extending that to one another. Now, the context here is within Christian relationships. Okay, so we need to be preserving that as a church. As a church that's on mission, a lot of irons in the fire, really spread out, a lot going on, growing quickly. We need to make sure that we're purposeful in prayer and laden with love. But how can we do it as a church scattered now? How can we love those who are around us? 
some of us, and I think this is something I've been largely guilty of throughout my life, as you become more and more sort of, I'm going to misapply a term, but I think you'll get my drift. As you become more and more Christian, you, you kind of isolate all your relationships into Christianity. And, and you kind of just concentrate on loving Christians. Anybody else kind of have this problem? I, I fully have had that, that problem in the last several years. But what I'm realizing is that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. Didn't it make a distinction between Christians and non-Christians? For God so loved the world. Every man, woman, and child that he gave his son. Right? And that Jesus was sent to the world. And Christ says, as I have been sent by the Father, I now send you in relationship, in the power of the Holy Spirit, in the flesh, to the world. And as a church, we need to have a tremendous love. We need to be laden with love for the lost. So how can we cultivate that is what I'm asking. I think it goes back to being purposeful in prayer. Prayer at the essence of it is just coming to God. The more we come to God, the more we see Christ, the more we love people. The more attention we give to the vertical, the greater effect there is on the horizontal. So in my own life, when I realize that I'm not loving people the way that I should, and that's more often than I probably want to admit, I know that what I got to try to do is reconnect with Jesus. Let Jesus be more exalted in my life. Pursue him harder. Seek after him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Seek after him with all that is within me. Not try to muster up some love for people. It's always going to fall short because they're always going to hurt me. They're always going to let me down. That's what people do to each other. But Jesus, if I could love because of who Christ is, not because of who I am or who they are, you see, then we're on to something. So as a church who's on mission, we need to be purposeful in prayer. We need to be laden with love. When people visit the new churches, when they come to Reality Ventura, San Francisco, London, whatever it might be, they need to experience the love of God. And when the congregation from those places is out in the community and on mission, they need to be sharing, ministering with their hands and their hearts the love of God. And then the the third point is we need to be serving as stewards. From verse 10. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. We need to be serving as stewards. Let me plant this idea. We need to move from ownership to stewardship. From wanting to be served to wanting to serve. There's the trajectory. We need to move from ownership to stewardship. I'll explain that in a minute. And from wanting to be served to wanting to serve. That one needs no explanation. Christ said, even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What does it mean to move from ownership to stewardship? We often view our lives, our gifts, our talents, our resources, our influence with a sense of ownership. This is mine. This is my influence to wield, or or these are my resources to spend, or this is my talent to use, or these are my gifts to employ. We need to move from ownership to stewardship. Here's the thing about a steward in the New Testament culture here. A steward 
owns nothing, but has been entrusted with something. Get that. A steward owns nothing, but has been entrusted with something. And then the steward has a responsibility, a responsibility to to rightly oversee and really dispense what he's been entrusted with. Jesus uses in parables, a parable of the talents, so on and so forth, that they were entrusted with certain talents and they were to go out and multiply with those talents to invest them wisely so that there's a return on the investment and that would be a good steward. The unrighteous steward or the unrighteous slave was the one who didn't see a return on the investment. See, God's made an investment in you and you don't own it. God owns you. God owns your gifts. God owns your talents. God owns your influence. God owns your sphere of relationships. God owns those. Where we need to move to is stewardship and away from ownership. To say, God, my life is yours. I've got this talent. I've had it since the day I was born. I want to use it for your glory. I want to use it for the furtherance of your kingdom. I want to see the lost saved. I want to see the prodigals come home. I want to see the mission of God move forward in my community and in my lifetime. And here's what I have. I've got a couple fish and a couple loaves. That's it. But they're yours, Lord. Multiply them. Use them for your glory. It's not mine. Each has been given a special gift. Every one of us is gifted in some unique way by God. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God or God's grace in its various forms. Often the disconnect for us is that we don't want to serve other people. Each has been given a special gift. Use it, therefore, in the serving of one another. We're so self-serving, and what it is is a perversion of the gift that God has planted within us or the talent that God has put within us, however we want to couch it in this context. But what we want to do is use those things in serving others. Now, how do you sort of discover, a lot of you know and some of you don't know, what your gifts or your talents or your proclivities that God has given you are? I don't think, I honestly don't think that you do it through a personality test. I mean, I could tell you some stuff, I suppose. I don't think you do it through a, a spiritual gift quiz. I mean, that, that probably maybe tells us a few things, but I think what's more supernatural and more in the image of Christ is when we just seek to serve people and then we discover God's power in us. That's what Christ did. That's what we're called to do. I think we discover our greatest potential in life when we endeavor to live our life in service to Christ by serving other people. That's a high ideal. I'm not saying that I've attained to it, but I'm heading for it. And I think that that'll keep us on track as a church when we remember that we're gifted and we're called to serve as individuals, out on the mission field within your sphere of influence and as a church, giving to other churches, pushing out the kingdom of God. And finally, number four, we need to be glorifying God. So we need to be purposeful in prayer, laden with love, serving as stewards and glorifying God. Verse 11, whoever speaks, let him speak as it were the utterances of God. 
And whoever serves, let him do so by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. See, the glory is God's. It belongs to him. We, we need to move away from being glory seekers and seeking our own to simply saying, God, how can I glorify you in every part of my life? Peter mentions two broad areas of giftings here, speaking giftings and serving speaking, uh, serving gifts, excuse me. And it's kind of in the context of the church being together. But those are not exhaustive. They're illustrative. They're just telling us some of the sorts of gifts. Like in Romans 12, when Paul's talking about the gifts, in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14, Ephesians 4, when Paul talks about some of the gifts, he's not being exhaustive. He's being illustrative. He's just showing us some of them, showing us what some of them might look like when we get together. And so when we get together, we need to think, how can we glorify God? And when we scatter, we need to think, how can we glorify God? Because we want you guys serving in the church, but you're only at church like two hours a week. So if you're not serving out in the world, you're actually not doing much. We want you serving at church. We should come to the church with a different mindset. A lot of us just show up. Hey, I'm here. What? Jesus should be totally stoked. I'm here. (laughs) We wouldn't say it that way, but that's exactly what's going on in our hearts. We just like made it here and we're like, others of us, we're here, but it's really about us. Okay, I'm here. I've got some needs. I need my needs to be met. So I hope someone does something for me. What, what, if, what if we showed up for church, not just showing up, not showing up for needs, but what if we showed up to say, okay, I'm going to give. Like that's my approach to church. I'm going to give. I'm going to give to God and worship. I'm not going to let that be the buffer time, you know, between when church starts and when I really have to be there. The little Starbucks buffer. Oh, the line was so long at Starbucks and I had a quad latte and it was half calf and then they messed it up and then it was supposed to be soy and they gave me whole milk. And so then now I got here and I'm a little bit late, but it's okay because they're just worshiping. It's okay because they're just worshiping. See, what if we approach church different? What if we said, I'm going to church to give the glory to God that is due to his name. I do it all the time in my life, but I'm going to do it with a whole bunch of other believers and some people who are seekers. And we're going to experience Christ together in community because God exists in community. And I'm going to go there just full on, just to the wall to give to God glory. What if we approach church that way? And then what if we also said, and I'm going to give something to somebody. I don't know what it is, but somehow I'm going to love someone. Now I realize that our church sort of um, meetings are structured horribly for this. You know, you got two minutes of meet and greet time and then you got 30 minutes max between the next service. Maybe we should rethink how we do church because for the person who comes and says, I'm going to serve, I'm going to find somebody who's hurting and, and, and be Christ's agent of healing in their life. I'm going to find somebody who's separated and bring them into the community. I'm going to find somebody that needs, to be, needs a friend and befriend them. I'm going to find some practical need and meet it. There's not a lot of time to do that in our church gatherings, huh? Maybe we should rethink how we do church. Maybe we get rid of the sermon altogether and we just come and have a big old love fest and serve each other. 
I'm just thinking out loud. I'm probably not going to do it. It's probably not going to happen. But I mean, is there something we could do? Is there some way that we could just approach it differently and say, okay, I'm, I'm going to be a giver and not just a taker? And then how can we do that? And this is where I end. How can we do that in the world? How can we do that in the world? How can we let our light shine before men in such a way that they see our good deeds and glorify our Father who is in heaven? Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. How can we do that at our beaches, in our stores, in our coffee shops, in our neighborhoods, in our families, on our coastland, in our country, in the nations? How can we serve and be spent for the kingdom of God, the glory of Christ, and the well-being of others. So we're doing a lot of stuff as a church. And Christ is leading us, and he's giving us a ton of grace. A ton of grace. We make a lot of mistakes. He's bigger than our mistakes, aren't you glad? But we just kind of need to keep these things in front of us. Purposeful in prayer, laden in love, serving as stewards, and glorifying God. Amen? Lord, we ask that you'd help us with these things. That you would help to keep us on track, Lord. As a expression of the church, a local church, and as the church and individual members of it. Help us with these things, Lord. Lord, help me with these things. I want to be a better Christian in my town, in my neighborhood, at the beach. I want to be a better representative of you. I want to be less self-serving and more serving of others. I want to live more for your glory and give you more of the glory. I want to love better, Lord. So mean, selfish and defensive, insecure. I want to love better. I want to pray more. Help us with these things, Lord. Thank you that you're really nice to us, God. Thank you that you work with us, that you're really patient and kind. Work with us this week, Lord. Keep us on track as the church and as an expression of the church. Keep us on track, Lord. Prayer team is up here to your right and to your left if you need help. Communion is here to remember Jesus and the cross.